Good morning, everyone. Well, I am bringing up the rear and um, finishing this class that you've been working your way through on parenting gospel principles that can radically change your family by Paul David Tripp. And we are focusing this session on transitional parenting, uh, which is a really interesting subject, um, and we're going to try to tackle it by moving through uh, several key segments of discussion relating to what it is to be experiencing transitional parenting. We'll talk about that in a moment. Let's open with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for all that you are and all that you have done for us, uh, for what it is to be under the mercy of the gospel, new and fresh, each and every day. Uh, we thank you for this discussion about parenting and uh, all its different uh, seasons and stages and the way in which, above all, it reminds us of our dependence, Lord, on you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so we're going to make just a few beginning observations. When I say we, I mean my wife Rachel and me. Um, we're going to move through some prevalent myths, talk about the biblical context for transitional parenting, practical tips, and some ending exhortations. This is kind of the roadmap of where I'm hoping we're going to go today. And I always like to start, whenever I'm talking about parenting, um, by referencing this eminent theologian, Indiana Jones. <laughs> Only the penitent man will pass. If there's one great lesson that Rachel and I have learned in our parenting, it is that nothing um, in the Christian life, perhaps other than marriage itself, puts us to our knees more often than uh, the challenges of what it is to be a parent. Um, so we don't come as a couple that thinks we know all the answers. We definitely don't, like you are struggling uh, with different parenting challenges as we go and as we grow. They're always new, always changing. We do believe that there are principles that are intended to be a blessing to us and a blessing on down through the generations. And hopefully that is part of what we're sharing with you today. But when I think about the concept of transitional parenting, it makes me chuckle in this regard, thinking of only that penitent man will pass. Because Rachel and I, you know, we're blessed in God's providence, providence with 10 children. That's a lot of children to parent. So we had a lot of practice. Some people would say that made us experts. And then God gave us our little special needs son, number 11, Edison. And we say that we needed the practice on all 10 just to get ready for number 11. You know? And that is how God works uh, he works uh, with us in life in this way. He reminds us 
of our dependence in new and fresh ways as um, we go and as we grow. And speaking of going and growing, Rachel and I know that we have people in this room that are new parents, potential new parents, that are new grandparents, potential grandparents. In other words, people in all different kinds of stages. And what we would propose is that transitional parenting is something that's important for all of us, even if it's focused on what it is to have parents that are transitioning in different ways that create challenges. It's all uh, transitional parenting. And I would just propose, Rachel and I would just propose to you that parenting is always in transition. It's always in transition. You're always moving from some stage to another. I kind of like this little image of what it is to change, modify, transition, transform, shift, adjust, new thing. You know, it, it is a picture in so many ways of life. Uh, it's certainly a picture of um, marriage. It's certainly a picture of parenting. Um, parenting is uh, always in some regard about transitioning. So uh, that's some context. want to give you a sense of what Rachel and I perceive as prevalent myths about transitional parenting. In this class, as we talk about transitional parenting, we're primarily talking about what it is to parent from one stage to another in life that where there is a significant shift. So when a child, for example, becomes married, obviously that's a significant shift and it is um, a landmark in the transitional parenting process. So we're going to focus on that. And um, even if you are a young parent right now, it's not too early to be thinking about what it is to be in a stage of uh, transition and uh, to have that child moving out of the nest, so to speak. And that should be all of your goals if you're parenting um, children. Um, you know, it's amazing to be in the company of the Sheltons who've known what it is to transition a child into the presence of the living God. That actually should be the focus of each and every one of us. That transitional parenting is the highest order of parenting. And so everything else kind of comes downstage from that, right? And yet there are all kinds of myths that, um, that challenge us as we consider what it is to parent through transitions in life. When a child grows up and is married and begins their own home, one of the um, myths, I think, and actually this is a myth that runs all the way through parenting, is that there will always be a generational divide that keeps real friendship from happening as those ages and stages move on. 
And one of the great tragedies in the church today is that we reflect America generally too much in being generationally segregated. You know, just like our schools, we tend to mimic that in our churches. We even have children's church where kids go to church separately and so many big churches. Churches tend to gather around particular age bands far too much. The, the magic of intergenerational relationships is something that hopefully is not lost on any of you. And the friendship that we have known and enjoyed with our kids, you know, even kids like Will Wolf over here, just amazing um, across the uh, generations and the different transitions in parenting. So fun to have him over there on my left. Didn't know he was going to be here this morning, but thinking about when he was at my library table asking permission, you know, to marry my daughter. Forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> or my forgiveness. <laughs> and, um, and the joy that it's been then seeing them transition into parenting and being alongside of them and that. There's just so much beauty in it. Um, so one of the myths that's prevalent in our culture today is that um, the generations are basically intended to be separated. Grandparents are supposed to go to the retirement community. Um, kids are supposed to worship and learn with and from other kids and so forth. That's myth one. Myth two um, is this idea that as our children mature into adulthood, the way to love best, the way to parent best, is basically to let them do whatever they want to do. It's, we just want them to be making their own choices, and whatever those choices are, I love best by letting them live the way that they want to live. That's how I'm supposed to do it. It's a big myth running in the culture. And by the way, it affects the way that we operate as brothers and sisters in Christ. It affects the way that we operate as friends. Do you really love your friend best who is becoming addicted to drugs or to pornography by saying nothing about it? The culture says yes. It's their business, not your business. You love well by loving them regardless of the decisions you make. And of course, there's an element of truth to that. The biggest lies always have an element of truth to them. The biggest, most dangerous lies always have an element of truth to them. You want to love somebody no matter the choices that they make, but at the same time, you want to love in a way that reflects a passion for them experiencing the way that leads to life. So we know how it ended for Jimi Hendrix, who famously said, let me live my life the way I want to. And some of us um, have children who are making this kind of mantra their mantra, and it breaks, it breaks the hearts of a thoughtful parent. And the challenge of what it is to believe that the, God's redemptive arm is long 
the, um, the, the hounds, the, the, uh, the legs of the hound of heaven, Neil once said, are strong and long. And we should never, as parents, believe um, that um, we should give up and lose hope on children who are making it their mantra to live their life the way they want to, even when um, it's on a destructive course. And the, the last myth that I just want to touch on, that's really prevalent as it relates to this discussion of transitional parenting, is that you have kind of a, a teeter-totter of opposing views. On the one hand, you have people who believe that when a child grows up and gets married and begins their own family, everything changes. Everything changes in your relationship. And then on the other side of the teeter-totter are those who believe that when a child grows up, gets married, goes off on their own, nothing changes, (laughs) right? You have those two polarized extremes. And because both extremes are so wrong, people tend to run toward one end or the other of the teeter-totter. And instead, what we need is balance. Honor your father and your mother until you get married is not the way that the scripture reads. Leave and cleave to your spouse as well as your father and mother is not the way that it was written, right? So those two extremes are clearly not um, where the Lord um, wants us. And the challenge is to find that balance in the middle of that um, teeter-totter. So those are just a few observations about, I think, some of the big myths that are running with regard to transitional parenting. Let's just touch for a moment on a few passages that help give us insight with regard to the biblical context um, as a child is transitioning from being under the umbrella of their parents to um, their own umbrella of creating a family. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you. This does not end at that point of transition. It continues. It changes, but it continues. Because a man is called to leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and carry this covenantal vision forward um, through their own families. The connectivity across the generations in Um, the view that the scriptures give us is profound and amazing. The family of God is primarily made to grow through the faithful families of men. It's the way that it has always been in God's design. So it shouldn't surprise us that the scripture gives us an intergenerational view of parenting and family life. We're both receiving a baton and we're passing the baton on. And the goal uh, is always the same, that you know, the Lord would be glorified in it, that he would have mercy on us so that we as parents could um, see the goodness of the Lord in our children um, 
moving into the presence of God. And I just can't uh, help but think of the two of you um, being here, Kent and Leslie. It's just a real blessing, I think, to all of us um, in this kind of a conversation that you're here. So one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. That generational vision is a vision that we all should have. Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. This is Deuteronomy 4.9, but this idea of having a view to our children's children, even if you're young parents, it matters um, to think and see the world with that kind of a lens, seeing through your children to your children's children. Yesterday, we were gardening and planting uh, some fig trees and other things with some of the grandkids, and it was such a delight, just as a picture of this, to think about them and their children, perhaps, just a picture, being able to enjoy um, a piece of fruit from, you know, Mercy Forest. It's just a, it's a, it's a thought that I think, um, even if it's a figurative thought for some of you, that is just a beautiful picture of what God wants us to be thinking about in this regard. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. That we, as older parents, as grandparents, as great-grandparents, might carry this kind of um, disposition. Paul Tripp, um, in the book that you've been working your way through, uh, has highlighted for us what's at the heart of all of this work. And you could literally look at this as it relates to parenting your children and think about it also as it relates to parenting um, in grandparenting mode, what you would be desiring, not just for your children, but for your children's children and the children that come after that. Our job is to be God's tool for the purpose of forming the image of God's son in our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. I mean, that's really the way, if you carry the biblical context here, that we should be seeing this. Our goal is not only that our children would stay inside God's boundaries, but also that they would think about all of life from the perspective of God's word. Again, our goal is not only that our children would stay inside God's boundary, but our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, that there would be that kind of shalom that runs through the generations. And I know some of you may think, I'm just dealing with (laughs) Sally, who's Little Sally, who's 13, my daughter, or with um, little Frankie, who's you know 12, and my hands are... I can't even imagine thinking generationally through Frankie right now. But God wants us to be thinking that way. And not only as um, we're parents, but also as we're grandparents and, and um, great-grandparents and so on. So this is important. Now, how do we do that? We do that incarnationally. We do it life on life. We talk to them about how thankful we are for God's word, how it's not only rescued us, but also taught us to think about everything in a new way. Not talking here about self-righteous, quasi-angry, biblical lectures used to condemn, 
more than to rescue. I know this is addressed at parents in Paul Tripp's book, but the same principle um, applies in uh, different ways as we're going to talk about in a moment here to grandparenting. I'm talking about the love of scripture that we share, the wisdom that we've gained from it, naturally coloring our moment-by-moment interactions. It's a really beautiful summary of um, what the parenting challenge is, but also the challenge that reflects itself forward into grandparenting and other things. All right, so here are a few practical tips that Rachel and I want to share with you. We had a couple of days away on Thursday and Friday for our anniversary, and we talked about a few things that have been a real blessing um, in, um, in our lives that continue to be a blessing in this new season of parenting as grandparents, um, parenting um, as see, seeing our, our parents as great-grandparents and so forth. One of the things that we really want to encourage you all to consider is to fight for the table. The table matters. In our family, it mattered so much that we tried to make the point using the artifacts of candles <laughs> to say, hey, when we come to the table, this is special. This is sacred ground. This is dear time. And I, I am amazed how hard it's been for us to keep the table as we've moved transitionally. But boy, when we set the table when the grandkids are over, when family is over, even, well, if it takes us an hour and a half to get it set, <laughs> we're always running behind. It is magic. Um, really want to encourage you to fight for the table. The second thing is in, um, in transitional parenting, um, artifacts matter. The little artifacts that you can be sharing with um, your children and with grandchildren um, that highlight the things that are most important to you. In our home, we have two books that are open all the time. The one is The Four Gospels, and the other is Pilgrim's Progress. I just took these two pictures last night. But they're usually, you know, these books are open all the time. They're usually lit. It's just a reminder as we're having time with the extended family, as the family continues to grow, of the things that have been most central to us as a family. We try to create reminders, um, artifacts, if you will, of place too, so that when um, we have time with the grandkids, they're, um, they're touching, and even with our own children as adults now, um, they're still touching places that mean something about the way that we see and experience life together as followers of Christ. Um, our library being, in some ways, kind of a central place in our home as a, as a picture of that. Even in little things like the family crest, like um, the letter L. Rachel, um, uh, do you remember even when you were a, a little child how she would talk about the L? for life and how, you know, you need to have, um, you need to be about emptying yourself for God and for others because otherwise the stuff that comes in in the eye of the L 
gets septic. <laughs> it just sits there. It doesn't flow through you. There's nothing flowing through. Um, and, and that little, you know, until uh, the kids started doing the, uh, the L and people were like, is that loser? And we are like, no, life, life, capital L. Um, those little artifacts um, matter and they're intended to be carried down. Uh, they don't just stop when your family life ends. They're part of the culture of your family life um, that rolls forward. Um, one of the things that matters as well is repetition. Repetition. So you can have a, just a great quote that you share with somebody um, who's dear to you in transitional parenting. Your children, as you come alongside of them growing on into adulthood, your grandchildren, etc. But if things aren't repeated, we tend to forget. My dad said a thousand times as I was growing up, and it's been a part of our transitional parenting experience ever since, before God, the way that I love you children the best is by loving your mother well. And he repeated it over and over and over. When we had children, um, he, <laughs> when we would be going through rough patches, so now he's the grandfather to us as parents, and he would say, if you expect blessing, you tend to get that. If you expect burden, you tend to get that. Watch how parents parent, and you'll see the difference. And he would say that you know, over and over, just expect blessing. He would take the terrible twos and say, they're the terrific twos. Make them the terrific twos as God enables you. And those things mattered. I remember playing basketball on our basketball court in our backyard when I was a boy growing up. My mom said it was always a little messed up because the basketball court was bigger than our house. But um, I remember playing hours and hours and hours and hours and, and, and my dad coming out and playing me. And one-on-one, the big thing, I was always getting ready. I was always getting closer to beating my dad in one-on-one. And he would beat me and he would hand me the ball and I would say to him, of course, being a young teenage boy, I would say to him, you really got lucky. And, and I remember him saying, amazing son, the more you practice, the luckier you get. You know, there are just so many quotes. Um, nothing is dynamic until it's specific. You know, nothing is dynamic until it's specific. An example of a quote um, from him. And... Uh, I, I'm just think of the repository of repetitive statements like that that reflected a worldview that brought life uh, to me as a son, but to us, Rachel and me, as parents, and that now are echoing uh, through the generations. Um, it's easy sometimes. Oh, I guess they never took much. <laughs> When, we, when Rachel and I continued to have children, my dad liked to say, I guess they just never figured out or they never took much to the blessing control thing. Um, as we had child after child, that was his little line, and it was a reminder to us that children are a blessing and a heritage from the Lord, and it just helped us when we would have 
person after person, day after day, say, are they all yours? <laughs> Rachel said if we had a nickel for every time we were asked that question, we would be in a very different place right now. <laughs> um, one thing, uh, as you think about transitional parenting, that matters enormously is experiences. The, you know, experiences matter. And sometimes those are experiences that will take you by surprise, like watching a, reading a book, watching a movie, a story like Les Mis and our family's case that just becomes a central part of our family culture. Some of you know what I mean by this. It doesn't, when we say experiences matter, it doesn't mean that you've got to go on a fancy vacation, but in transitional parenting, fighting for experiences um, that matter in shaping the value and vision of the next generation are really important. Um, and not despising, not forsaking the little things. The little things matter. The experiences, um, as we shared in the last class on parenting, where I gave you as an example, Elizabeth, our daughter Elizabeth, and how she was a slow and putsy eater and you know just would not... Uh, follow instructions and tempo and are eating. Don't tell her I told you this. <laughs> but, you know, to help her understand the pace, the tempo that she needed to have in eating her peas, we'd put her dessert, a popsicle, on the plate in front of her, and she would watch it melt until it was, you know, melted and gone as a way of, you know, connecting those things. Well, guess what? As the grandkids come around now... We're finding that a lot of those little things that we enjoyed doing as parents, I know you're all thinking Rachel would never let that happen. Rachel would get a new popsicle and <laughs> give it to her grandbaby. You're probably right. But the point is, the, the, little, things, um, the little things matter. And we, um, we can't despise the little things. We can't despise the big things. Uh, for us... And I'm making this point about transitional parenting. Um, for us, a lot of the things that were most important in parenting continue to be most important in transitional parenting. So as parents, we said, let's really be intentional about moments of blessing, moments of laughter, and moments of seeking and giving forgiveness. You know, those were lessons we learned um, from different mentors growing up. And I'm telling you, the joy that we have, you know, when we, for example, saw these two coaching community soccer in Oak Ridge yesterday and just encouraging them and blessing them afterwards for, you know, who they are as parents and who they are um, as parent figures in the lives of those other kids just being intentional about blessing, being intentional about finding moments of laughter, being intentional about seeking grace, you know, and mercy being um, given and being offered. All these things matter. And of course, you know, being catechetical in the way that that happens, where, you know, we're intentionally trying to connect things to the way the truth of life, the gospel message of guilt, grace, gratitude the active presence of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all things that God has revealed to us about um, things beautiful, good, and true. It's just a, 
it's a beautiful thing to move through that. So uh, the objective, of course, of parenting is to raise up our children to be sent out. To raise up our children to be sent out. But when we think about the move of children actually going out, we tend, sorry, but I just had to do this. We tend to have the Steve Martin-like reaction. And I, uh, <laughs> I've known this feeling. Uh, perhaps you've um, known this feeling. Um, but it's just good to be reminded um, that uh, this is what we're aiming at. So a few final words of exhortation and then hopefully we're going to have some time for um, Rachel perhaps to add some additional comments or just to field some questions and comments as we go. Um, exhortation is an interesting word. It's you know the act of inciting people to good and commendable things. And so we, we want to um, leave with a couple of exhortations for those of you who are thinking about what it is to bridge um, and transition your parenting as a child is growing up and then growing up, getting married, moving on, um, even um, going um, to um, heaven as we think about you know, the ultimate uh, journey. The first is that encouragement becomes more key as your children grow older. This may be a, a simple, obvious observation for some of you, but I think it really is important to think about the difference between the, the focus on regulation when they're young, it really showing them guide rails and and trying to make sure that they are staying on those guide rails. That's what I mean by regulation. I don't mean it in a bad sense. But parenting younger children is more about um, making sure that they, un- they see the tracks and that they're staying on them. But as they get older and they're making their own choices, I think it's a lot more about celebration than it is about Regulation, meaning finding things that they're doing well and lifting up those things. A regulatory spirit in transitional parenting would be the dive-bombing in-laws who tell you, no, you need to organize your cabinets this way, and no, you really should have spanked that child in that moment, or not in this moment, etc. right? We all know the helicopter parenting can transition into helicopter grandparenting, <laughs> and, and that's not a good thing. So what should the primary disposition be as we transition um, in parenting to adult uh, children and married children and their families having encouragement as the key is really important. The second thing is, and Rachel and I had some good chuckles talking about this, adjusting your expectations. So for us, with a big family, just want to give you one example of that. If it was our expectation that Thursday, Thanksgiving Thursday, 
was going to be at the homestead. By golly. It doesn't make any difference what's going on. You're going to be at our place for Thanksgiving and the meal's starting at four and it's... <laughs> Will's laughing. Okay, so the meal's starting at 4.50 and you know, you're going to be there until seven. Guess what? It would be a little bit of a world war because who's having to sacrifice time with whose in-laws and how, you know, they're just, we had to, we had to adjust our expectations. And so what a joy it's been. I'm just giving you this as an example for us in our transitional parenting mode to say to our children on the main days, go wherever you need to be. And so we, you know, we get, we gather for our family Thanksgiving meal really on that Thanksgiving Saturday, in part as a consequence. Um, same thing with Christmas. Uh, we try to um, flex as best we can. If we had the expectation that it's not a good Christmas day because not everybody is there, we would be sorry, folks. And that would make things even sorrier. <laughs> You all know what I mean by this. Adjusting expectations um, matters. Uh, I know some grandparents that are bitter that they spend too little time with their grandchildren. I know some grandparents who are bitter because they spend too much time <laughs> with their grandkids. Right? Um, learning to adjust um, your expectations is really uh, important. Uh, it will keep the dark side away from the Thanksgiving meal. That was the intention of this picture. All right. Really important is holding the long view. Holding the long view. Uh, what does that mean? That means that as you move through transitional parenting, you are going to have uh, different seasons where things are just not as you want them to be. And if you think it's the whole, it's the whole thing, it, you know, if you're, if you're not able to uh, lift your gaze and, uh, and, not, uh, and, and, and are not able to resist the temptation to see, for example, a child through just a stage that they're in and to project that, Forward, if, if, if you're not able to resist that temptation and instead realize that there are, there's a long view that I have in mind here as I'm just trying to be alongside of my children, my grandchildren, and on into the generations. There's a long view that requires a steadiness and a steadiness of mind um, that does not leap too quickly to short view conclusions. How many people do we all know who've written off different family members because of one conversation, because of one argument, because of one bad season of life? It's a tragedy. And God wants us to be thinking with a long view in mind and with um, clear uh, intentionality, among other things, toward the redemption of all things. And I, um, I think 
much too often we are inclined to um, make our own conclusions in small little boxes, small little spaces, and not get up over the clouds and look to God uh, to give us a, um, a bigger picture view that helps us to be more hopeful and more intentionally redemptive in the way that we interact uh, with people who are in our families. But what is it to be um, intentional in transitional parenting? Rachel um, has this phrase that I just love. She's used it a lot. She used it again uh, the last couple of days. Um, That to be intentional in transitional parenting is to be intentional about a coming alongside. A coming alongside. And that may not strike you the way that it strikes me, but there is a mode in parenting where you are definitely out front and you know the chicks are following behind the hen and the rooster, right? There is then a transition that happens as your children mature into adulthood and then go out on their own, hopefully sooner rather than later, though this culture is doing a really good job of trying to keep people um, as dependent as possible, as long as possible, it seems. The goal is that that not be the case and that instead those children are coming out alongside us, right? And the privilege of being alongside is um, just a glorious thing to see. I put this picture in the slideshow specifically for Rachel. That includes being alongside in shopping. I just want to highlight. (laughs) I had to. (laughs) Except Gigi would have far more bags. Yes. Um, And speaking of being intentional, um, for those of you who are in grandparenting mode in particular. You've moved through that transitional parenting bridge in that regard. There's an amazing new organization called Legacy Coalition that is all about intentional grandparenting and, um, and the biblical importance of it and all kinds of ways in which you can experience it. Um, their helps, their resources, they're all free, are um, really quite encouraging. My parents are very involved in this and in so many ways are examples of intentional grandparenting. My mom and my dad write each Saturday a prayer request list that goes out to our whole extended family. Actually, some of you are on this list. I know David is. Um, So it goes beyond our family. But uh, my mom and dad give a little devotional and then it's it's a prayer request list and they've been doing it for years. And it's a way of keeping uh, the family connected, but it just reflects this intentionality uh, that matters enormously. And then I just want to conclude by saying that above all, making grace and hope our anchors um, as we continue to transition uh, through the family life that the Lord has given to us, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it, uh, 
making grace and hope our anchors uh, is enormously important. It's so critical to remember that ultimately it's not our work. You know, some of you, uh, like us, need to hear this. It's not our work. We, we can't control the outcomes of the lives that our children will live and the legacies that they will uh, leave behind. We, we can't control that. But um, we have a God who is marked by steadfast loving kindness, by hesed, um, that runs across the generations. And so making grace and hope our anchors and making faithful prayer our practice is what God calls us above anything else to do. Um, some of us have situations that we look at at times and we think, this is irredeemable. This is, you know, it's broken beyond repair. Um, and the devil has his way when we buy the lie that a relationship, a person, is beyond God's redemptive reach. And if we believe that that's true, we should just look at our own selves because what a miracle it is that each of us, ourselves, if we're honest, have been redeemed and have been touched by the mercy of um, Christ in spite of ourselves. So to really you know, conclude with this idea, this word of encouragement, it's the same word of encouragement that we offered in the parenting discussion that we had to begin this series that comes from the book of John. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Um, at the end of parenting, at the end of transitional parenting, is a rest and a dependence in the mercy of the Lord. And um, so hopefully these exhortations are encouragements to your soul, but the deepest encouragement that you can have is knowing, as John Quincy Adams said, duty is ours, results are God's. The duty matters, but the results are not ours to control. Um, we have to um, view parenting and transitional parenting not about a clenched fist. This is mine. This is my doing. But ultimately as a way of offering back up to God that which was always and ever his from the beginning and trusting it to him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Sweetheart, would you like to? What can I add to that? <laughs>
the young moms I'm sitting with and their families, my own precious children, adult children, and I'm inspired and I, you all point me to Christ and encourage me and in your parenting and grandparenting and God parenting. And it's just a, it's a beautiful privilege to be in a family of families with you all. So true. Well, um, principles matter. They're life-giving. God gives them to us for a reason. Uh, the, the dependence that we have on God, though, is where we land at the end of the day. Rachel and I have said a thousand times, a million times, we dangle by threads of mercy daily. We do. In our house, it's just the way that we roll. Um, and hopefully all of you know, even you really put together ones, you know, got it all figured out. Hopefully we all know what it is to dangle by threads of mercy daily um, because there's life in it. Well, we have time for a few questions, I think. Yes. That's a great question. So what happens if some of the family lore and legacy and principles and repeated quotes and things of that sort are things that you need to leave behind um, as you seek to honor God in your own family? There is uh, real intentionality and, uh, and needing to do that to negate certain things as well as there is in affirming certain things. And uh, that is not easy to do, especially if there are people in your family active and wanting to continue to bring that culture, their culture, forward, and you feel that it's not God-honoring. Um, it, it is uh, as critical to affirm certain things as it is to negate certain other things. For me, uh, growing up, I did not necessarily have model to me because my father did not have model to him what it was to seek forgiveness from my children when I needed to. It was something that we decided to be intentional about in part because for all of the amazing, amazing um, gifts that my father and my mother, my mother being such a prayer warrior, um, gave to us as children. That was something we wanted to accent uh, even more. So it was a kind of negating, affirming, um, and, and it, it is really difficult. It wasn't uh, difficult in my case in this regard, but it's really difficult sometimes when you have parents, grandparents, 
who are engaging to be contrary to the culture that you are seeking before God to create. That takes a special um, act of grace and graciousness, but also strength um, to make sure that things are set aright in your family culture. It's a really, really good point. And, uh, and it's a challenge that I'm sure many of you have faced. I think it's a combination in terms of how you go about addressing a piece of culture that's being given in transitional parenting from, say, a grandparent to your grandchildren that you as a parent do not want to have passed. I'm, re- I'm trying to repeat this just so people listening might be able to hear it. It's such a good question, such a good point. I think it's a combination of going to your parents uh, directly and explaining that this is a point of principle, of culture-making, that you disagree with as parents. You, you are grateful for them in so many ways, in whatever ways you can be grateful. You're grateful. <laughs> um, but in this area, you feel very convicted. So you're letting them know, and then you're instructing the children um, in in affirmative uh, way as well. So I think it's, it's a both hand. I think you, you, you need to, uh, in a situation like that, put the parents on guard, but also um, put your children on guard as, as well in a way that's as honoring as possible. Boy, these are hard things, aren't they? They just really require um, mercy, a need for mercy. And grace and truth <laughs> all together. Anybody else have a comment or question? I'm so glad you raised that point because it's not always that the transitioning is happening in clean lines, is it? In fact, more and more it's the case that it doesn't move cleanly and some of those things just make it harder. Yes, Haley. Yes. Yes. And by the way, this can show up in, yes, this can show up in enormously important ways, like a theological point of principle. It can also show up in that when grandma comes over, they just are getting cookies and (laughs) ice cream and whatever they want. I'm not talking about, of course, at our house, but, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so, you know, sometimes there are, 
um, there are, are boundaries that need to be established in small ways too. But ultimately, you're right. The, the, the idea of father power and, and mother power, the, just the, the relational dynamic as God has ordained it to be, is something so significant um, to be invested in. And that is ultimately about relationships, creating relationships. I can't imagine, Rachel can't imagine what it would be like not to have our children counted as among our best friends. We can't imagine that. But we have plenty of friends who can't wait for their kids to get out of the house and can't wait to get away from their families. That, that's, that's infectious. If you have that sense as a parent, it's infectious. People sense it and observe it, and it matters. If you want to be um, close because you delight in the privileges and opportunities of what it is to be in parental relationship, uh, even with the son who's grown and passed me in so many ways to my delight, um, to you know, be friends and to delight in that company. It the the relationship um, opportunities that you have to shape culture are totally different than if you're helicopter parenting, much less helicopter grandparenting. Helicopter grandparenting is a scary thing. Um, and, you know, the, the more that you um, detach from the covenantal view, the biblical view gives us such a beautiful balance, doesn't it? Such a beautiful balance. The desire to honor parents that endures, but the clarity of what it is, even when it's hard, by the way, the desire to honor parents, even when it's hard, um, but the clarity of leave and cleave and a new family formed. Those two things um, make for flourishing cultures. And by the way, in flourishing cultures, children help take care of their aging parents. They do. They do. Not because they have to. There is a sense of duty in it but because they get to, because they know what it is to be grateful. Uh, even in all the imperfections of parenting as it comes to each one of us, there's something that marks a flourishing culture that is reflected in the fact that children want to be intentional about honoring their parents, however broken they might be, physically, relationally, Emotionally, spiritually, mentally, um, it is, uh, it's one of the great opportunities that, um, that each of us has because remember that what we practice will be reflected in many cases. So if we practice the neglect of our parents, you shouldn't be surprised if you get neglected yourself when you're of similar age. And if we do the opposite, um, it will also tend to follow suit. And lastly, just remember, 
whatever cycle you might find yourself and your family in, God can break it and set it aright. Um, and some of the greatest examples of godly influence in my life have come through people, even in my family, who seem broken beyond repair. So, um, we can all consider that as we transition to worship, right? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you um, are, among other things, a God of wonderful surprises, that you remind us uh, over and over again in the pages of Scripture how you take broken vessels and pour into them uh, spirit of the living God and work redemption in ways that proclaim truth and love and mercy across the generations. And we ask that you would um, help us, Lord, to be agents of that truth and love and mercy in the decisions that um, we make each day and each week and each month that shape the trajectory of our lives. Uh, help us to be intentional in our parenting and our grandparenting. Help us to be intentional in terms of who we are in relation to our parents and our grandparents. Um, make us a grateful people, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.